You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in, Michael Hotard back here for another episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Joining me today is a former instructor slash teacher of mine at the great Nichols State University, also a great friend, um, and that is my buddy Lance Arnold, and today we're going to kind of touch on uh, some things happening with COVID, how they're responding from a teaching standpoint. Uh, he also has a really awesome page. He's a huge Huge fan of the city of New Orleans, uh, the Saints, and just all the culture surrounding the city. You can check out his page, Nola Sum, uh, which highlights a lot of the local um, historical uh, historical monuments and breweries, all things local New Orleans, Nola Sum. Check that out. But without further ado, my buddy, Lance Arnold. Lance, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me on, finally. Yeah, I had you on Nola Sum's up. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I knew that was that. coming. I knew that was yeah. coming. Well, I haven't, I haven't even done the podcast in a while, but we're going to get back into it. It was just a lot of work, as you know. Oh, 100%, dude. <laughs> Always. Um, but, yeah, so um, just to start this off, let's let's start with Nola some. Because, um, like I said in, in the intro, you're a huge, huge fan of the city in New Orleans. Um, sure. And everything that kind of comes with it so what kind of sparked the creative behind nola sum and doing that uh the focus of nola sum is just positive just even uh, the social media the uh, the blogs the podcast uh, i do all that with it is i just want to point out positive things i don't want to talk about the politics and problems with the police or problems between the races i just want to say here's great things to do in new orleans this is these are great people in new orleans and just just have a happy, you know, sort of community of people contributing to, you know, what what's great about New Orleans. I've I've born and raised there. I lived there all my life and I just love the city. It's unlike any city in the world. Without a doubt. And you know, um I one of the stories I have to bring up, of course. Um so again, Lance's Lance was one of my teachers in uh, in college. Um, had him for multiple classes, pretty much most of the years I was at Nichols, um, as he teaches in the mass communication department. But kind of echoing the sentiment of how much uh, Nola is embedded in in you, I guess. You know, sure. back in college, one of the stomping grounds I went to, and it's honestly because of you, um, is good old gold mine, which is one of the most famous bars in new orleans um you know i think i was probably actually managing it too uh because i was working at nichols and managing it for a little while yeah yeah when, when you guys came by <laughs> but i you know i used to go there if we went to new orleans there was no doubt we were stopping at gold mine and uh of course uh gold mine is famous for their uh two for one flaming dr peppers that will knock you on your freaking ass um but one of the stories I specifically remember is when uh, the college media convention came to New Orleans. And, of course, myself, along with a bunch of the other staff at the newspaper, um, and then some of the staff with KNSU, which is, of course, the radio station that you are the um, advisor for. Um, you know, we all 
a bunch of us just went to gold mine after after hours essentially and just had a grand old time and i still remember uh uh putting in the work on uh the head of the department good old dr stewart at uh at gold mine and i'm just sitting there thinking to myself shit this guy controls my grades maybe i should maybe i shouldn't beat him but you know he was of course a sport about it yeah y'all playing pool but he wouldn't drink with y'all i mean y'all were offering to buy him dr peppers and he's like no i could could buy my own drinks (laughs) i remember Uh, like i go up to the bar and uh i just remember like looking back i was like yo dr stewart you want to get in on this he's just like nah man i'm good i'm like all right cool fair enough but no man it's uh it was a good time um but you know one of the other one of the other things that kind of speaks volumes to you uh and the highlight of new orleans of course uh is the new orleans saints and one of the things that another thing like you and i used to do um was I'd meet up with you because you go tailgate with your uh, with your brothers with uh, good old yes. Fambulance. So tell us about that. Uh, it's the Houdat Nation Fambulance. My uh, oldest brother Tommy, he used to own Kukos, and so he you know he knows food, he knows catering and all that stuff. So one day he uh, bought a Fambulance at a police auction in Mississippi, way up in North Mississippi. It done, didn't run. He and my dad dad. Uh, pushed it or pulled it all the way back from northern mississippi an ambulance didn't work and tommy got it all fixed up uh it's not something you party on the inside uh, so much but it, it holds everything on the inside all our tables all our supplies uh, all our cooking stuff is on the inside of dj system on the inside but it does have a uh, keg taps on the inside and outside uh, uh but it's an ambulance that we shrink wrapped with uh, lsu and saint stuff we had the lombardi trophy on there and the lsu's crystal ball trophy so it's just something we bring to lsu games i bring it to nichols games usually homecoming i have to cover up the lsu stuff but <laughs> but yeah. no that was just something uh we decided to do to you know to enhance our tailgating experience hang tvs off the side of it so and it was free for anybody comes by we're on the street usually and anybody walks by we'll give them a drink and give them some food and that includes the enemy because you have a tradition of the jinx beer so tell us about that yeah, the Jinx beer. Uh, this was started, uh, my wife had started this years ago. She passed away a few years ago, but uh, she started a long time ago. And what it was is we like to show our hospitality in New Orleans. I'm always thankful to people from all over the world come visit our city, spend money in our city. And you've got to be nice to them. We're not Philadelphia. We're not San Francisco. You know, We want to take care of the fans from the other teams, even if we want them to lose. And so we started a tradition of giving a beer or two beers to fans from the other team. Uh, but we considered it the Jinx beer. We had to make sure they took it, they opened it, and they drink, drink it, and we take a picture with them. And we don't tell them it's a Jinx beer, but, you know, that guess you know we're all superstitious, so we say okay, the Saints are going to win the game because we poisoned one of their fans with a Jinx beer. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> hey, poison. It's, it's a good beer, you right? Know, not- <laughs> and one of the things with the Jinx beer, don't you usually give them something local as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll give them the local. We try to do it as a local beer, but uh, we usually end up walking to the stadium with them and talking about the city. You know, we're just we're just so thankful that they're there. So we're we're, we're good uh, cheerleaders for our city. For sure, man, and you know you've been so you and you and your brothers. When did y'all get the the ambulance again? Oh, I don't know. It must have been uh, probably like seven years ago. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I, I remember, like I said, I mean, I graduated from Nichols twenty twenty fourteen, and um, 
you know, my my last year of college was when you and I sort of got close and developed a friendship. Um, Just because, you know, I'm spending pretty much half of my classes with you at that point um, as I get later into the the curriculum for Nichols. But uh, yeah, man, like I remember going there because y'all used to, and I, I think y'all still do unless things have changed, but, uh, you and your dad, yeah, yeah. Used to come up. <laughs> so, but y'all, y'all parked outside of Allegro's, which is one of the most famous or best tailgating spots, which they don't exist anymore though. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember they, well, they closed down. Was that last year or two years ago? Uh, they closed down a little bit after football season two years ago. Okay. Yeah. But Y'all used to park outside of Allegro's, and I remember, um, you know, back when I was in college, you know, we would, my dad and I would come hit you up and hang out, have a couple of beers, and usually it was there, and then we'd hit up the uh, Bud Light tailgate, which again, no longer there. Um, But it's always a good time, man, and, uh, you know, with... With the Saints games, you do a lot of traveling as well, um, and I, I know you probably hate telling the story at this point, but we got to hear the story of how you snuck beers into the stadium. Oh, in Houston. <laughs> okay. so, and, and, and you didn't mention, yeah, also I do stand-up comedy, and this is in the routine usually, but you got to see it to, to really get it, but I'll, I'll try to do as best I can here. Um, so... Ever since I was a kid, I used to sneak beer, you know, sneak alcohol into the Superdome. You know, you got to sneak alcohol in because it's just too damn expensive to drink and get drunk in the Superdome. So, you know, it's just a tradition, always sneaking alcohol in. Well, you know, later when I was older, old enough to drink, but still, you know, I was to sneak alcohol in. Went to a game in Houston, and I've, I've hit 12 beers all over my body to sneak into that stadium. I mean, I had beers shoved in uncomfortable places. And, and we were there with uh, my... Uh, my sister-in-law and her husband and, and my wife and I. And so we're walking up to the gate and had this big militant looking uh, motherfucker who's uh, frisking everybody. So, you know, was patting him down so much that he could feel, you know, he'd feel your religion. He's reaching between your legs, making sure you didn't have anything there. <laughs> and so they looked at my, my wife looked back at me. She's like, well, what are you going to do? And it's like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a person from New Orleans. So one, I take my saints seriously and I take my beer drinking seriously. So I'm not going to miss kickoff and I'm not going to, you know, throw out the beers. So I told her, go on in and, and, and I'll figure out something. I looked at that guy, big Texas guy, got his cowboy hat on, you know, tough, tough looking dude. And I was like, yeah, I, I know what I'm going to do because, you know, they probably got some preconceived notions about people from New Orleans. You know, so um, I walk right up to him and I do a little twirl and I go, oh, my favorite part of the game, the pat down. I wiggle my butt in front of him and the dude just says, he just like taps me on the shoulder and says, no, man, you're good going in. <laughs> dude, and it never gets old, man. Like that is still to this day. If I bring up your name and I'm talking with you with friends and, you know, everything like that. That is one of the first things I mentioned, dude. That story has just stuck with me since the first time I heard it. It's absolutely glorious. Um, but um, so anyway, getting back to uh, getting back to I guess Saints and uh, New Orleans. So you know one of the one of the cool parts and to kind of express your fanhood. So when we recorded the podcast for Nola Sum, um, it was one of the first episodes y'all shot. And um, y'all had that was brought a big one. That's a special Saints one that we yeah. did too. 
So we talked a lot of Saints, and of course we're doing this out of your home. Well, we your did. Home. You talked Falcons. Because... Well, <laughs> but uh, no, in your in your uh, essentially your man cave, you have Saints Saints memorabilia galore. So talk about some of your favorite, I guess, uh, prize possessions that, of some of the Saints memorabilia that you've collected over the years. One of the coolest ones that we lucked into and that they won the Super Bowl that year was we went to the quarterback club meeting at the the beginning of the year that we won the Super Bowl. And the Saints were about to fly out to play the Raiders in preseason uh, straight from this uh, quarterback club meeting. But all the Saints players have to be there for some reason. They do it. And so I had a football with some white panels on it, Saints football, and I went – went through and had them all sign it, or at least a whole bunch of, like, the big players. Jeremy Shockey was on there, and Drew Brees, and, you know, Deuce McAllister. Uh, I think it was Deuce. Was it the year? No, Reggie Bush. Uh, his, signed it. And so I have this football with all those signatures, and then, you know, like, three, four months later, they win the Super Bowl. It's like, damn. So uh, along with that, I have a piece of the turf from the Super Bowl, from the end zone. I have a, p- a few pieces of the turf from the Superdome, from the uh, NFC Championship game. Uh, but you know, some of the prize possessions are the really old things. Like I have a, a, a Saints Stadium seat from Tulane Stadium. Uh, that was my grandfather's. I got a p- autographed picture of the first Saints team ever. Oh, geez. It's just I have so much stuff in there. Well, I remember for the for the podcast episode, so y'all y'all do a trivia question, and one of the the trivia question y'all did was when the the Saints used to come out, or I, I forgot who it was. You know the backstory, but they used to come out with like a comic book style um, magazine. There's only one edition. They only have one one issue, one edition of that comic book. I have like three copies of it though. <laughs> yeah. Hoarding them all. But yeah, that was another cool thing that, you know, like I said, you used as part of the trivia question for that episode yeah. of the podcast. But um no Javier and uh Morton Anderson were on the cover. Yep, yep. So um well going back to uh, sticking with the theme of Saints here, so um well I guess what was your favorite moment in in the history of the team? Like or give me your give me your top three that you witnessed live. Okay, so Steve Gleason. Yeah. That whole that whole that whole day was just not only did I get to see the Saints come back into the Super because I've had season tickets since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. To see Saints come back and play, but that day I got to see three of my favorite top ten bands ever, you know, play. I saw Cowboy Mouth, U two and Green Day. And then Steve Gleason does that and just that that whole day was just incredible. I don't think anything will ever replace the magic yeah. of that night because uh, my dad and I had bought our season tickets, or he bought our season tickets uh, when I was probably I was probably eleven or twelve. We had been going um, the year after I think two thousand four season, which was the year after they merged the division. Um, sure. After they had the restructure and we became yeah, the South. NFC South, um, there was one year of the NFC South, and then we got our season tickets the next year. So, um, you know, I was there for the year before Katrina, the year of Katrina, and I remember going to Tiger Stadium Tiger for State, those yeah. games. Yeah. And then, of course, when they reopened the dome, I mean, I don't think anything will grip Saints fans quite emotionally the way seeing. A battered and broken Superdome did, and then 
being able to experience that reopening and like you said the steve gleason block dude like goosebumps to the max and then of course the saints are coming was born um and just oh man that day was absolutely biblical in the best way imaginable well the only one that was close to it was that that field goal that's got us into the super Bowl. absolutely and because Jim I Henderson, my kid, and spun him around up in the, up in the nosebleed, and you know, which is dangerous because those seats are pretty steep. If I let him go, <laughs> I'm throwing him off of the side of you know onto the field. Yeah, I actually so I watched that game. I was in the seats with my sister for that one. She had gone with me to that one because I think at this point, um, my dad had gotten extra seats maybe um, for that game. But uh, I, I I remember watching that game with my sister, and then. Dude, still to this day, one of my favorite play-by-play calls in the history of sports um, is Jim Henderson's call of that because, oh my God, it's so iconic. The emotion in his voice, the way it cracks when he says it's good. Um, Oh man, Uh, again, it's just another moment you can't forget. I mean, he, he, he was just incredible, Jim Henderson. I mean, Hakeem drops the ball one for years earlier. Absolutely. That was incredible, but oh, and the, the third one, which uh, wasn't, I guess, a special game, but uh, when I was living in West Virginia for two years, I managed to get over to Indianapolis to see the Saints play the Colts, and it was Peyton Manning's first game against the Saints and Jim Moore's first game against the Saints. Wow! And we bought tickets on the street, nosebleed way high up, but my wife and I eventually worked our way all the way down to by the sideline, and the game was going like this: that we're rooting for Peyton, but we didn't want him to win. But Peyton was kicking our ass the whole first half of the game. And by the end of the first half, I'm like, break his leg, you know. <laughs> and, but the Saints came back and ended up winning the game. But because, uh, I, I forget why, but we were able to work our way all the way down to the sideline behind the Saints in the first row seats. And Ricky Jackson was working as a coach at the time. And so uh, Saints had won the game, but Ricky Jackson just walking by. He has nothing to do. He wasn't really a coach, I guess. And so he just, Ricky! And Ricky looks up and he comes over by us. I mean, I don't know him. <laughs> he, he spent the rest of the game with us. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so that was a that was a good memory for all those things. Yeah, it's uh, I, I guess for me, I mean, obviously the first two you mentioned. I think my third. Um, oh man, I think for me, I think the third that I witnessed live. I think the slaughtering of Arizona. I mean, same same year they won the Super Bowl. Um, Reggie Bush bringing the bat. The slaughtering of the Patriots is better than that. What's that? The same year that when they killed the Patriots. Yeah. Tom Brady, Brady wants to go back in the game, and Bill Belichick said, "Nope, you done." Yeah. They that. Oh, go ahead, sorry. I, I remember. Games. No, I remember that game vividly too because I remember Breeze. That was one of the games he put up uh, one fifty eight point three rating. So Breeze was phenomenal. He hit. One of the crazy parts about this game, and one of the things I'll never forget about that game, was Devery Henderson on the deep touchdown, where the Patriots, that may be the most blown coverage I've ever seen from a Bill Belichick defense. Um, Because there was no one within 25 yards of Devery Henderson. Just, like, completely slipped through, and Breeze finds him. But that was pretty much an exclamation point of you knew that game was pretty much over. But, um... Yeah, that year though, um, I, dude, Reggie Bush running out of the tunnel with the uh, 
the bat. With the bats, bringing the woods, still one of my favorite things. And then Reggie had a big game, and they slaughtered the Cardinals in that one. But that whole season, man, it was surreal. Um, it was. I have so many stories just from that season. I mean, here's a, here's a cool story. You remember the Redskins game, right? Yes, the Meacham okay, strip. Well, then we came back. Okay, well, at the beginning of the season, I had a dream that the Saints went undefeated up until the Redskins game. And I told my wife about that, saying, yeah, I remember watching the Redskins game in my dream, and that was the first game that we lost. And lo and behold, the season's going that way. And we're watching the Redskins game, and the Redskins are winning. And my wife says, so in your dream, you were watching the game, right? I'm like, yes. So so we had a party at my house, so they locked me in a room without a TV. They said, if you're not watching the game, then we have a chance. Dude, one and, of the... I guess one of the the watch party stories I have that I remember was for the Super Bowl. So I actually watched it in two different places. Um, I was with my wife um, and her family, and my parents had gone to Miami for the game. They had tickets, so that's why I wasn't watching with them. But um, the watch party we were at when Tracy Porter got the pick, um, you know, there were multiple TVs around the house, and I hear from the other room screaming, go, go, go. And our TV was delayed. So we're like, what the fuck happened? Like something good just happened. And then a couple of seconds later, Peyton drops back, Porter jumps the route. And I was like, holy shit. But watching him run to the end zone, I mean, dude, that's uh, that whole season was freaking amazing. Yeah, I love the joke where they say, you know, Peyton Manning always dreamed of growing up and throwing that Super Bowl winning <laughs> touchdown for the Saints, and he did it. Right. Dude, the exclamation point. But um, so moving along from uh, Saints here. Um, so a- as far as New Orleans goes, so, you know, in addition to Goldmine, stuff like that, you know, what's some of the what's some of the biggest draws for you and like what's what's some of your favorite parts about just the city itself well i mean I, what's the people i uh, mean mainly i mean i've lived in a few different places and i've been all over and even though people say the south is is, is racist i find new orleans that granted there's there's no pockets here and there where the racists keep to themselves but i find you go to different clubs or, or to festivals or to restaurants or and it, and it we're just really a melting pot that just gets along, you know, for, for the most part that I don't see in other cities. I, I see other cities that people kind of stick to their own, but I, you know, I don't, I, I don't see that in New Orleans as much. And I just, you know, think, we, I think it's the culture, the music, the food that we all share that stuff. You know, we don't have our own little Italian village, Italian town, Chinatown or whatever. It's all, it's all together. It's all it's very, all yeah, it's all very inclusive. Um, I mean, most of your big festivals are going to take place in the same spot, uh, and that, of course, being the French Quarter uh, from from Essence, from uh, you know all the different festivals that they have. But um, yeah, oh yeah. But uh, so you know, we you touched on this earlier um, whenever you were telling the story about how you snuck in with beer to the Houston game. Um, sure. But one of the things you dove into a couple of years back was stand-up comedy. Um, and you've performed at places like Howlin' Wolf, stuff like that. So um, talk a little bit about that and how that kind of came to fruition for you. Uh, well, 
you were you were one of my students, and uh, I guess a lot of the students find that I tell funny stories in class, or I just have that kind of a presence to stand up and just <laughs> talk. And so, uh, a friend of ours, uh, another former student, Richard uh, Richard Dubas, he was a comedian. I mean, he still is a comedian. None of us are doing it right now with COVID. But uh, one day he called me on a Wednesday and said, hey, you know, you're pretty funny in class. And you have that Saints joke that you told us. Uh, why don't you come do comedy tonight? And I'm like, wait, you're telling me to come do comedy in three hours for the first time ever in my life? <laughs> no, no, I'm good. I'm not going to go do that. He's like, okay, next Wednesday. Next Wednesday you'll do it. And I was like, okay, I'll put something together. He's like, like three, four minutes of stuff. That's all you need. Okay, so the next Wednesday he calls me, and I'm a little nervous about it. And he's like, don't worry. The place will be empty, really laid back. The guy who runs it's really nice. You know, don't worry about it. We get there. The place is packed. <laughs> uh, uh, the, guy, the guy who runs it comes up to me and says, okay, I need you to do 10 minutes. And I'm like, what? Oh, shit. And it's a contest with three judges. So no pressure, no nothing. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. So I end up, I get on stage, and, uh, uh, well, I started drinking a bunch of shots of jack once i realized all that was going on because uh, i had people coming to see me so i didn't want to not do it just chicken out right so i did a few shots of jack and then i got on stage and i won the contest and they brought me back the next week as the headliner and paid me oh my god dude that's insane so uh, that's when i said because it was just a bucket list thing yeah and, but it turned into a lot more since you know they, they kept me back i keep, we did that for three weeks in a row and then i started doing other places that's awesome man yeah and i, I mean did it in, uh, vegas i did it in vegas houston chicago uh la just you know uh minneapolis just kind of jumping around and just doing well, it, man. I'm, I'm in the towns i'm gonna try to find a spot to go get up on stage that's awesome no that's cool man um yeah and uh you know, going back to kind of what you said in class, like, dude, I distinctly remember, um, I, I'm not even going to say the joke on air because of how offensive it was, but I, oh, I said it. Yeah. Well, I had said, I had said something very offensive in class. And, uh, of course there, I mean, we had a class of 13, 14 people and we have been knowing each other for the last four or five years. Um, five for some of us like myself who took the victory lap, but, um, I, I remember saying, saying this in class and again, I'm not repeating it on here cause I'm not putting that on record anywhere, but I said something and then of course the whole class laughed and there was one or two people who were like, dude, really? And then you just come in and just drop a freaking nuclear bomb saying something upstage and I'm like, oh shit, it's like that. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I doubled down on you. <laughs> but that was just the nature of, of our class. But it was, dude, it was fun, man. And I, uh, one of the funny things that I'll never forget either is, uh, like I alluded to, we used to, uh, we used to tailgate together and everything like that when I was going to the games regularly with my dad. And, um, I remember at the Bud Light tailgate, he had, uh, he had told me after, uh, we were leaving the the tailgate area to go to the game, and it was funny because you had said to him, I, "I don't even know how the conversation got brought up, but again, this was the last year there." And uh, he was like, "Yeah, man, Mike didn't do shit for the first three years he was in school, and then all of a sudden it just clicks. So he's doing well." I'm like, "Yeah, that pretty much accurately describes my fucking college career." Yeah, it does. <laughs> Hey. I'm telling you, I just thought you were a little shit until probably your senior year. You know, 
<laughs> hey, but there's a lot of you guys that don't. That, uh, you know, even Richard, who we just mentioned, you know, I, I thought Richard was borderline on the spectrum. You know, <laughs> until I got to know him. <laughs> yeah, but then he really lost on me. He's, you know, he, he's he, he's really good, but yeah. I didn't really know him. I just you know, ran across him so sometimes in some of my classes. So, you know, not that I thought you were on the spectrum. I just. <laughs> <laughs> Well, dude, it's just, it's one of those things, like, you get to college, and, you know, for the first two years, you're not really doing anything with your major. Like, in fact, I, I fucking took Mako 101 twice, because um, my first semester was, dude, it was awful. I got a, I finished with a 1.2, um, and Mako actually was one of my best grades, and it was a fucking C in Mako 101, so I ended up basically just uh, reading. with me? No, I had it with Nikki actually. Both times okay. I had one oh one I had it with Nikki. Um, you get a seat from me in that class, you are on the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, it was it was a good time. But um you know, let's let's dive into that a little bit because right now, um, you know, you were talking about this before we got started and with with COVID of course it's kinda uh putting putting some uh some strain on a lot of teachers and stuff like that. And you've kind of found a niche with it, uh, given the subject matter in which you're teaching, which is, of course, technology. So talk a little bit about how you're navigating through COVID and teaching. Yeah, and it's not just the professors that are struggling. The students are struggling with it. They're used to going to class as a class. I know my daughter's at UNO, and all her classes are online, and she hates online classes. She has no choice, though. She wants to get out of the house. She wants to be in a classroom. But uh, the way that we're doing it at Nichols, at least uh, for my uh, most of my classes, they're calling it a high-flex hybrid thing, where we can't have a room full of students anymore because they got to be socially distant. So if I have a class of 30, 15 students come on a Tuesday, 15 come on a Thursday, and the rest, and on the opposite days, they just watch from home on Zoom. Which Zoom is great. I like the technology because it's interactive. I can call on students at home as easily as I can call on students in class. But I would say, you know, professors, a lot of us, a lot of us are stuck in our ways and we don't, you know, get off my lawn. I don't want to learn technology. <laughs> that type of stuff. And, you know, like you said, luckily, technology is what we do in our department. Yeah. At least what I do. I mean, video doesn't intimidate me. So that's how we're handling it. But the, the whole campus is just different now uh where half the students come in every building they go into if they don't have a wristband on already saying that they get the temperature taken and they had a questionnaire they filled out every day they have to do that and get a wristband us too they they even have me sometimes wearing a face mask sort of like a welder's mask thing and i have a big sheet of uh transparent plastic uh in front of my desk between me and the students so yeah, I mean, they're not fooling around. I don't know what North Carolina and Notre Dame or Alabama at this point are doing to where everybody's getting the COVID, but I think Nichols is doing it pretty good. Yeah, it seems like they've been on top of it. And I'll tell you this right now, and like one of the things that I love seeing um, really within the last, I would say, five to six years, really since I graduated, there's just been such an uptick in bringing a better culture surrounding um, surrounding Nichols from uh, getting Jay Clune as president. Um, it started with him. It really did. Yeah, uh, and you know, you think about the athletic programs and uh, some of the hires like Tim Rebo. Of course, I mean, you and I both know it's no secret that football drives the bus in Louisiana. Yeah. Um, 
So having a successful athletic program and having a president who has a good pulse, not only for the community, but for Nichols in general, because one of the things I've always said, um, you know, is it's hard to not go to Nichols and then be successful running a department or whatever it is over there, just because being there, you kind of understand what the situation is with such a small school in South Louisiana. Um, but they've Nichols has been incredible um, and really on the upward swing for the last five to six years. And that's even trickled down to you guys um, in the mass comm department. You know, one of the things that's freaking awesome, and I'm so happy for the department as a whole, y'all have had significant expansions and upgrades to the mass comm department. And oh, we're, we're about to open up a whole new part too. Sweet. So let's, yeah. let's dive into that, you know, with between KNSU, the, the TV station, all those things. Talk about some of the big things that have happened over the last five to six years. Yeah. Over the last five years, it, it was slow in coming. Uh, but, uh, Senator, former Senator now, Norby Schauer, he, uh, actually was a DJ at KNSU before I was even at Nichols. And so he had a love for it. He wasn't a mass communications major. He just loved KNSU, and he was a DJ there. And while he was a senator, um, they were doing some improvements on the theater. And when the school, the president went to him and said, hey, can the legislator help us get more money? Norby uh, called me up and says, hey, you, you want me to get you in on this? You say, if I get them more money, I'm going to tell them, yes, but some of the money has to go to improvements. And when I say some of the money, it, it ended up being well over a million dollars in renovations for the TV station and the radio station, which the TV station needed it desperately. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so we have state-of-the-art TV station better than a lot of professional TV stations in New Orleans or Homa or Baton Rouge. I mean, our, our, our facilities are are really state-of-the-art. Uh, if you want to see some of the stuff we do, anybody listening, you can go to uh, facebook.com slash KNSUTV. Uh, that's where we're airing a lot of our stuff until we figure out a full-time streaming channel. Uh, so, yeah, our TV station, our radio station is really looking good right now, and we're about to open up the Convergence Media Center uh, on the other side of the building, which is where the newspaper, the yearbook, the radio station, the TV station are all going to work together as one big media group. So they have that synergy where every, everybody working together is going to be such a better product. That's that's awesome because I you that was know two hundred thousand dollar donation uh, by a uh, alumni to build that. That's awesome. Um, you know, one of the things because I had I was fortunate enough to. Um, serve as sports director for KNSU and uh, sports editor of the Nicholsworth. Um, that was one of the things I just loved about being at the small school is having those opportunities to just get involved with the campus media. Um, but one of the things that there was a clear divide between, and I don't think this was any fault of of you know you or Nikki as both of y'all kind of are advisors to each of those departments, but because they were so spread out, you know Nichols Nicholsworth is you know, near the athletic facility and KNSU's pretty much dead smack in the middle of campus. There wasn't yeah. much overlap there. And then, of course, the TV station's not, you know, same facility as uh, uh, the radio the station. Radio station. Yeah. But there there was always sort of a gap there um, in terms of the... There's a rivalry, the, too. It's yeah. Yeah, so it, it's going to be awesome to just kind of see that all come together and kind of fall and under the same the hall, blanket. We're all the hall from each other now. Oh, we will be in a few weeks. That's awesome. Um, 
Now, uh, as far as, uh, you know, KNSU, what's some of the things happening there uh, or what was happening there prior to COVID that's been, like, pretty big? Like, what's kind of been y'all's programming base uh, since uh, all this happened? We took all well, – actually, it was a Dr. Stewart, our department head, and I took on a show called One Lafouche uh, when COVID first broke out because people were – and students weren't allowed on campus at the time, but we felt that New Orleans stations and Baton Rouge stations aren't telling people in Lafouche what they need to know. So we started doing a weekly, actually it was bi-weekly in the beginning, where we'd bring in you know somebody from the sheriff's office, somebody, you know, we had a doctor on every week, we had uh, people from the school board or the principals from the schools, just every anybody we could think of that needs to get their information out there to Lafouche area, we'd air those shows, uh, put together those shows twice a week and we're still doing those shows uh every wednesday so that was something that we continued uh or started to do that really showcased our studio too if you take a look you can sort of see evolution of how we're learning how to use our studio by looking at old one lafouches that's um, awesome and because we kind of mastered that we're going to have a lot more programming uh, we're going to have a strictly nichols news program coming up starting this next thursday uh, students are going, students from my class are going to start doing that with my TV station staff. Uh, we're going to start highlighting a lot more music through the TV station and radio station because the radio station in the next few weeks will have cameras set up in there. So anybody doing a radio show can go straight out through our TV studio too. Nice. Uh, so y'all are going to be doing simulcasting basically. Yeah. Sweet. And we'll be simulcasting from the theater also. I have three cameras going in the theater across the hall, which was just redone um i'm talking and i hate to say this right here but nobody's listening it's gonna know is i'm talking about maybe trying to do something with the acadiana festival in the theater and in the studio and just do it live for people that watch at home nice or stream with a small audience in the theater so uh talk about that we just started talking about that so i probably shouldn't have said anything but god don't tell anybody (laughs) (laughs) um no, that's awesome, man. Now, um, you know, um, I guess I, I guess since y'all are gonna be falling under the same umbrella, I guess you and Nikki, you know, what's are are y'all currently getting the Nicholsworth and KNSU together, trying to create some of that cohesion? We're trying to. It's still hard until they move move in across the hall. Yeah. Once they move in across the hall, then we can just walk over there and say, "Hey, when y'all come on the show." Sweet. Yeah, or, 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 or share things share things that way. Or they can run over and say, hey, I need a cameraman. Let's go shoot some video. So, yeah, like you said, it was nearly impossible. They were so far away from us, the yeah. Nicholsworth before. But that, that's the that's the idea behind it. Where Actually, uh, Nikki's not the advisor anymore to the uh, print side. Everybody's the advisor. We're sort of like the entire faculty. Oh, nice. It, it, the entire faculty is really over all of them, but... They can't really take over can't shoot TV and radio because they just don't have the technical yeah. know-how. So that's still pretty much under me. Okay. Well, that's good, man. And I've seen some good improvement from the uh, from that side of it, too, from the print side um, with the launching of the new website and everything like that, um, which they did a couple of years back. But I, I saw they've been putting out some, uh, some recent articles and columns, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it's good to see all the all the great things happening over there because, um, you know, it's funny. It seems like whenever I go to school somewhere, the second I leave, that's when the technology gets upgraded because the same thing happened to me. A guy that you uh, 
you know um, Albert Dupont, who used to be in uh, head of uh, Satellite Center uh, in St. Charles Parish. You know, I did the advanced TV broadcasting with him in high school, and uh, that's a running joke he and I always have is, like, the second I left, they started upgrading the computers. They got Macs. They got new equipment for the studio um, and all this other stuff, and then pretty much the same thing happens as I leave Nichols. So maybe maybe I'm the maybe I'm the the focal point for helping they change. This, you know, they, they have to, and when you're in there, they're like, "Oh my god, this stuff is so horrible." Really, it was just <laughs> you, you making everything look bad. Yeah, you know, I, someone had to be the catalyst for it, I guess. Yeah. But uh, now one of the um, I, uh, so I had. Uh, I had Nate Welch on the uh, podcast uh, a couple of months back, um, which I, I was about, the last comedy show I did with him was I hosted uh, I emceed his comedy show and then uh, the city shut down everything the next day. That that makes perfect freaking sense then. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that because I mean that's another former um, Nichols grad who was in the classes with me and he's kind of had this whole comedy career. So talk about that show that you, uh, emceed with him. And, and Nate's, Nate's a lot like you too. in that in the beginning at Nichols, he just seemed sort of, you know, like, like, uh, it just messed around, you know, he didn't take things too seriously. And then something clicked for him too. And he just, you know, started hitting it. And I was, you know, I was honestly surprised. I didn't know he was a comedian until one day he asked me to get him some time at the Holland Wolf and next thing I know he's in California and I see him on all these podcasts and shows and things like that uh, you know doing comedy and I was like damn you know go for it Hell yeah. I mean, he just he, he saw what he wanted to do and you know went for it so I'm, I'm proud of that same thing with you you've been doing this podcast I tried to do the podcast and I I bailed out after a little bit <laughs> it, I'm it, that's why like with this one specifically because i mean i had the first podcast i ever did was with a friend of mine called off the record and that was unfiltered sports talk i think i did i think we did 30 between 30 to 35 episodes and that was the longest running one and then i had launched another one that was just me and it was a solo podcast that i think was eight episodes and then um i had another one that it was a completely different site entirely. It was when I shut down Huddle for a little while uh, yeah. with a couple of buddies. I think that we did six, maybe eight episodes. And then this one I've been doing, I actually hit the the year anniversary last month on it. Um, and I forgot how many, what the count is. But yeah, I'm, I think I've found the happy medium with going every two weeks and basically setting my release dates for around the 1st and 15th of every month. And it's... Yeah one of the things that I did to just kind of aid in that was strictly doing audio. Cause at first I was doing the video and it's just, dude, it's well, so much. Well, that was my problem. You saw mine, mine. I had, I, I'd spent probably an hour shooting it or more. And then I'd spend another five hours editing yeah. it because mine was a TV show. It yeah. was really a podcast. Uh, and that burnt me out. That's why I loved it. I think it was a great product, but I just got, out on it yeah well it's t that's the tough part is if you're not making money off of anything it's tough to stay motivated doing it yes. um like this month i saw a huge drop in traffic after the best five months i've ever had in the history of my website but i also kind of took a step back as i've been having some uh uh some other things happening trying to focus on a couple other things to make some things happen in my you know professional career um 
but it's dude it's a balancing act man and uh but the fortunate thing for me i guess is um i've been fortunate enough to get some exposure you know one of the things i'm currently doing is filtering a lot of hotard huddle stuff and then doing uh basically once a week a video for bayou report which is a media entity started by a buddy of mine so it's opened up a, a couple of doors but uh, dude it's it's definitely a balancing act and there's definitely those periods where you're like shit i'm i'm over this <laughs> Yeah, but staying with it, you have that on your resume. Like, like I have the no, the uh, Nova Sum, yeah, you know, podcast, you know, on my resume, and people can go look at it. It's right there on on the website, NovaSum dot com. If anybody's there, N O L A S O M E dot com. Now, um, couple getting back to kind of the teaching side of things. So, um, we were talking about Nate, and you know, one of the, um. One of the things that's that's funny, so when I had him on the show, you had mentioned uh, how similar to me, like you just kind of thought, oh God, this kid doesn't take anything serious, and then it just, it kind of clicked. One of the funny things I love about Nate, probably more than anything, is how much self-awareness and how much he uses that in his comedy, because one of my favorite bits that he does and this is a direct quote from him. And when he said this on the podcast, it was the first time I'd heard it, and I just died laughing. But he was like, and for the record, to paint the picture here, Nate is bald head, like looks like a typical meathead, and he'll say that. But he was like, yeah, it's like, it was like Stone Cold and Little Debbie had a bastard, and instead of wrestling in the WWE, Stone Cold wrestled with depression. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant but we had some good times at uh good old uh knsu tv but one of the stories that i always tell people uh about your class in particular so one of one of the things we did part of our our class structure with you was rotating um, roles the in the yeah in the in the TV studio. So I, one week I was anchoring the show, and we've all seen the blooper reels of anchors getting tongue tied. We've seen them laughing uncontrollably, and my biggest folly. And if you can find the video for this, I will be forever grateful because i'd love to freaking post that on huddle but um there was one particular show so uh bo Bear had written a story about for those not for those who don't know that's bobby Bear's son who quarterback for nichols right and bo is in our class and bo again like someone who's got charisma he has it in spades um but he's a jokester and the story he happened to pick out that week while i was anchoring and i had the pleasure of reading was about this fucking dog named sundance who apparently swallowed 500 dollars in cash uh from the from the owner well in the writing for his story um he had wrote sundance the dog swallowed five bills and when i was reading it uh, on air, keep in mind, this is live. Uh, I had said Sundance the dog swallowed five balls. And I, re- I could feel my face just making that wide-eyed look as I'm looking into the camera telling this story. And I also see behind the camera, you fucking had just taken a sip of water. 
and you had to cover your mouth and run in out of the fucking production room. So naturally, I started laughing. And for the next probably five minutes, like I tell Brooke, who was uh, my co-anchor for it, I was like, yeah, you finished the story. And she's just like, what do I do? <laughs> And I had to fucking just sit there and laugh for the next five minutes before I finally got to the story. I don't even remember how it ended, but I just remember putting my head down and just laughing uncontrollably, trying to keep my composure, but just fucking couldn't do it. That happens. Now, when <laughs> so whenever I said that, what's that? <laughs> that happens not to me not to you um but dude like oh man it was great because i just heard the whole production room and like i said i just see you just diving out of the room and take on everybody do you do you even remember that no i don't i can imagine (laughs) that i did a spit take that i ran out and just had all the water evacuated up my mouth But no, man, that was by far one of the best because and i think i think free you is actually doing the uh the camera for me and dude he was dying behind the camera so i'm trying to look at the camera looking at him seeing him laugh like dude it was just a whole ordeal um but uh you know as far as um the tv station goes so what are you guys doing uh so are you able to do any you know new updated shows on tv currently or what's happening with Uh, that yeah like i said thursday we're going to start uh doing uh Nichols News on there. My station manager and staff, I have a staff now at the TV station, just like the radio station, and they're turning in. If something happens on campus, they're running out there and covering it. And then we'll just throw it up on our Facebook page usually or our other social media until we start uh, either get a 24-hour streaming channel or we get back on the cable system. Okay. But no, our shows are covering stuff still. Sweet. Now, well, I, I can't remember the exact timeline. I, th- I don't think y'all were... Y'all were in school, but I could be wrong. Um, but one of the uh, one of the cool things I, I that happened recently with Nichols was um, um, the the AD that they just hired, uh, Jonathan yeah. Terrell. Um, yeah, we got him on right after. Nice. Well, dude, that was that was cool because I, I had talked about that on Bayou Report uh, when I did my little uh, no huddle segment that I do for them. Um, so for for intents and purposes and the historical relevance so he became the first uh black athletic director in school history and again it's just it's some of the things that are just taking progressive turns on campus um yeah he was a no-brainer if he was black or white the dude was a no-brainer yeah and and everything and it's i i guess it's just kind of the icing on the cake from a historical perspective but but yeah i mean he's been a longtime supporter of of nichols athletics he played um here or he was part of Nichols athletics as a student so once again it's it's another shining example of Nichols just kind of looking in their own backyard to keep improving um everything that's happening on that campus so um you know what's I, I guess what's some of the big changes in the atmosphere that you've noticed within the last five years uh well it's it's friendly. I mean, I hate to say, you know, throw a president under a bus, but the, the last two presidents before uh, Jay Clune weren't from here. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of times that's a good thing where, you, you know, LSU whatever gets, you know, has a national search for president. and is on. But, but down here on the Bayou, 
uh, students don't come from all over the world to go to Nichols. I mean, they, we do have international students, but it's mostly a lot of first-generation college students from down the bayou, and uh, most people live within driving distance of the university. So we're all we're all from the area, and I think a president that's from the area, you know, can really serve the students better than a president that's from a college in Minnesota. You know, it comes down. They don't understand how to work with the politicians or how things are done in South Louisiana. We're different. Right. We're, we're different people here. And so I think that's what uh, Jay Clune really brought in, that he knows how to speak to people in the community, people on campus. Um, and and he, he's aware of what's going on at, at, with everybody, with the organizations, with all the issues and trying to tackle all these things. He's so much more personable, too. Yeah. Well, going back to what I talked about earlier with, uh, you know, Nichols football coach Tim Rebo. Um, so you you knew this about me, obviously, when I was a student there. You know, one of my one of the jobs that I held for four years was doing video for the football program. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Charlie Stubbs, um, a lot of people – have their opinions about him but one of the things I'll, I'll always defend coach Stubbs is he was always good to me um I think he was a genuine dude but again it's just it's different down there so a little backstory behind coach Stubbs and a winning helps winning, yeah uh, win, oh 100 percent um but like even when you talk when I had talked with you know people whenever I'd travel with the football team you know I'd go out and talk to some of the people who donate to the athletic department. And, you know, one of the common things I hear is like, I don't know enough about coach Stubbs. I, I don't know enough about him. And, um, you know, with coach Stubbs, he was very much to himself. He was kind of a recluse. Um, and you know, there's no indictment for this at all, but it's just the reality of the situation being Mormon in South Louisiana, where, we love drinking beer, eating crawfish, and cursing up a storm. It doesn't exactly mix and match. So, yeah, you know, then they bring in Tim Rebo. Tim Rebo's going out to these crawfish bowls. Tim Rebo's able to relate to people on a different level. And just like you said with the president, with uh, Jay Clune and stuff like that, those things matter in a small town like Thibodeau, Louisiana. So, um in 100%. Now, um, I guess we'll, we have a little bit of time left and I want to touch on this because this is something you and I have had a lot of conversations on. Um, and it's certainly a rabbit hole to go down. So we'll try to keep it brief, but, um, you know, the conversation you and I have had a lot lately is about fighting the misinformation and just kind of, some of the stuff we see on social media, uh, just from a political standpoint, from a misinformation sure. standpoint. So how are you addressing that, I guess, with the current generation of students in 2020? Well, the one-on-one class is always about media literacy. And I started the class this semester with, I forget who it was, it was a Nobel uh, uh, Peace Prize winner or, or whatever, it was a scientist or a doctor who it came out, it's in, it's in some, uh, I think, African country, and, and a, a Twitter thing people put up on Facebook came out saying that he quit his job, this great you know, doctor, Peace Prize winner, because they were telling him to falsify COVID numbers at at the work. And, I, and somebody had posted that, and my first impression, I don't, no matter what side of the, you're on, I'm going, holy crap, is that true? 
and I go look it up. Yeah, I'm not I'm not looking up stuff, you know, just to poo poo on people or to to back my own political ideologies. I'm like, if I see something out there, and I'm like, holy crap, I go look it up, and I come to find out that this was put out there by who knows somebody has an agenda to to subvert something and made this made this fake Twitter thing up where he actually came out and said that he was. They did enough work at the national level. He wants to go back to his own little town area and fight the COVID, you know, there and help in the hospitals in that area. And that's why he did it. And he had to come out on Twitter and say, that's not me. I didn't say that. But people still posted that over and over again. So I took it on myself to go ahead and post his, you know, recant to that. And and it's... And so that's how I, 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 I told that story in my class and showed it to him. I was like, what do you think the motivation is for people to do that? And I was like, it's the same motivation for somebody to sell you French fries from McDonald's or you no, know, or a car or whatever. You know, there's some motivation. There's some message. I don't know who it is. I don't know what their motivation is. But that's what you, you got to look at every single message you see in the media uh, that way. And I think that's that's what a lot of people don't do. We were talking about this before, also where people posting things like that, they're reposting it from somebody else or some kind of outrageous facts that causes me to go, holy crap, and go look it up. And then when I call them out on it on their own Facebook post, uh, sometimes, believe it or not, no matter if you're a Trumpster or if you're a Bidener, you know, if you're hardcore, a few of my friends had said, oh, sorry, thank you, I'll take it down. Yeah. But, but most of them say, oh, no, I just reposted things that I agree with. Even if it's fake news and, you know, I say, well, you know, this is why the Russians can get away with putting stuff on Facebook and subverting our elections because you're a willing participant. Right. It's just willful ignorance. And, you know, I've I've had a couple of times. So there, there's been – and like for me, I guess with the posting on social media, there's there's a certain point I reach with people where it's like, all right, cool, well – I've already tried to play this nicely. Now, yeah. now I'm just going to start calling out every piece of bullshit you post. And, you know, unfortunately, some people don't like that. But, yeah, I've had situations where, like, I've texted a friend or something and been like, look, dude, like, this is false. Here's why. Or this is misguided or angled in some way. And here's why. Here's the real story. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of friends who have been – you know, oh yeah, I appreciate that. Cool, and they deleted. But like yeah. you said, there's just a echo chamber of people out there if, who just it falls apart. It falls apart with what you just said: willful ignorance coupled with lack of civility. Yeah. You know, you know, when you have a person that does both of those things, that's when I just have to start unfriending you. Willful ignorance, I can put up with a little bit if we have a previous relationship that you know goes beyond politics. Right. Yeah, you know, I can deal with. But when you, you know. Uh, one person just start going after me personally because I asked a question. Uh, this this was a person who said that uh, millions of people support Trump and, and believe that he's true. So millions of people can't be that wrong. And so I simply replied on the same feed that, uh, you know, uh, I think I just put up a stat saying there were like, like 90.6 million Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she starts you now attacking me personally with that instead of addressing, you know, the, the, the BS that, you know, millions of people, you know, can't be wrong. And dude, that's, 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 the, like, that's like my mom saying you're going to jump off the bridge because, you know, millions of people are. Right. And, you know, with with people like that, they just move the goalposts. And the person you're referring to was funny because this same person, I had, I had fact-checked her on something, essentially. And uh, 
I, I the thing is, if if you're gonna deflect and move the goalpost on a question, I'm going to keep asking you the question until a you get pissed off or b you start slinging mud at me, and that's what happened with this person is. I I asked her the same question three times, I believe, and she had finally gotten nasty with me, and, you know, I got a little nasty back, and I remember she posted a picture of the logo for my business and was like, don't do business with these people out of Thibodeau. I'm like, this just shows your fucking ignorance because my business isn't even based out of Thibodeau, so good luck finding that business, you moron. But yeah, she gave no reasons either uh, why right. not to do business. It was just, hey, she don't do business with them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah man it's it's crazy right now and you know when so i had written the column a while back that you had shared as well as nikki um and i appreciate you guys doing that um but it was specifically addressing kind of media literacy and i was listening to a podcast um i was listening to uh pod save america actually and um the, the the journalist, he was a British journalist, uh, I can't remember his name, um, Hassan, Hassan something, I can't remember, but just kind of talked about the election and a lot of things he was saying about what's going to happen with Biden and Trump. I had listened to it. Two days later, the first thing he had mentioned started happening, and it was in regards to the Postal Service. So I was like, holy shit. So, um, but anyway, one of the quotes he referenced on that was, and this is this is what gets misconstrued about the media in in a nutshell is we hear about bias in the media. Bias isn't the problem because all of your sourcing with the exception of basically wire services like AP um routers and things like that with the exception of wire services most lean one way or the other. Now of course there's responsible leaning and slanting and then there's irresponsible and you and i can both kind of pick out which ones are worse off than the others and you and i also know that you can still take away good things from even the worst of the worst but you have to tread carefully and know the bullshit when you see it or search the bullshit when you think it's there um but one of the quotes he said in this podcast, and it stood out to me, and this is what I opened the column with, was the job of a journalist is not to say, say person A says it's raining outside, person B says it's not raining outside. The job of the journalist is to open the fucking window and see if it's raining outside. Yeah. And it was funny because uh, I had I had texted uh, Nikki that quote um couple of days before i wrote the column and she had uh she had sent me back a screenshot of her desktop um or one of her lesson plans for mako 101 and she was like literally first day of class i have this i was like holy shit that's awesome um but one of the things that really does piss me off in a lot of ways um, because I've heard this comment from people I care about. I've heard this comment from friends, family, relatives, whatever. And it's when people start bashing educators and say, oh, they, they're they pushing the liberal agenda, this and that. And I'm not saying that it doesn't exist at some universities and some professors um, because there are professors that I've seen at Nichols. But I was fortunate enough, and I'll always go to the plate for people like you, Dr. Stewart, Nikki, all the uh, Dr. Simon Selly, all these people, because 
if there's one thing I took away from Nichols mass comm department, it's fairness and accuracy. And that doesn't mean just sitting here saying both sides of the story. No, it's telling the factual side of the story or standing on an opinion by backing it with factual claims to filter into that opinion. And yeah, well, that's, that's uh, along with that, with the quote you just gave, I'm going to take that quote a little different, where, okay, let's just say Biden says it's raining outside. Well, I'm going to look out the window and see that it's not raining outside. Now, I always used to preach, you know, be objective, be objective, be objective. But also, uh, we're, the, we're the fourth estate. You know, we're watchdogs. Yeah. yeah. So just because we're telling you the truth, if I look out the window and say uh, Biden's wrong, it's not raining outside, now all of a sudden I'm a really conservative uh, point of view. Right. And that's what people aren't getting right now is that I think CNN's doing a good job of this, even though they, they, they are going a little you know, to the side more than they, they used to. But they're doing a good job of just pointing out these are the places where he's wrong. And then the more that they point out that Trump, you know, fact checked him, fact check him, then they start seeing more and more liberal. Or on the other side of they're fact checking the Repub- the Democrats, you know, then they're going to see more and more conservative. Where it's not that; it's truth, right? And I think that's what a lot of people aren't, you know. And you see that when you're when you're on Facebook and you're fact checking people, and all they want to do is argue with you and not even look at the facts. Right. You're liberal. That's why you're saying that. I put up a Snopes thing for something once, and all the guys said in response to it when I called out his lies with a Snopes article, he's like, well, they're owned. And I'm like, owned by who? They're owned. That's all he can say. <laughs> well, and that's what it – that's the big problem. I mean I, I was telling you this beforehand, and I'm not going to call out any names or anything like that, but there's a couple of people I'm friends with who – do the same thing. They'll stand on a claim. You know, one of the thing, one of the things I'm sick of hearing in regards to Biden and the Harris ticket is, you know, the the far blown socialist, um, and that they want to turn the United States into a socialist socialist country. And I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and when he told me that, I was like, okay. What policies has Biden openly said he wants to implement that are inherently socialist? The response was, I'll have to do my research and get back to you. Okay, so why make that fucking claim before you even do the research? And that's unfortunately what – Wait, what's that? Make that post. People post this stuff all the time without researching it. So – it's just stuff like that. It's and right now, of course, we're we're in the middle of an election season and an an important one. So tensions are high, emotions are high, um, but and all this information is accessible. There are sites that highlight the things that Biden has said, um, and you can see exactly where he leans. And you know, another conversation I had with someone the other day. One of my biggest. So I think socialist. Uh, is has become one of the biggest buzzwords in the political atmosphere. Um, you know, for for the right especially, they'll point to places like Venezuela and be like, this is why socialism doesn't work. Yeah. Um, now, socialism isn't just one concept and that's it. It falls under many blankets. There are European countries who have a lot of socialistic policies but may not be socialist. Um, and that's what I think people are or some politicians are trying to do here in the u.s but one of the things i said to someone the other day he was talking about how bad also all forms of socialism are and i was just like all right cool 
then explain to me why it's seven or eight of the ten most prosperous countries economically have socialistic policies like universal health care, like free education. Um, and I was just like, explain to me why the majority of countries that are in the top ten in unemployment, GDP, and all these economic measures have a lot of these socialist policies if it's so bad and going to run down everything. No answer. Um, you know, a conversation with someone recently talked about Democratic-run cities, and he's like, well, then how come the Democratic-run cities have so much uh, poverty and this and that? And I was like, okay, cool. If we're going to play that card, then explain to me why nine of the ten poorest states in the U.S. are also fucking Republican. Like, we can fucking move the needle as much as we want on this. Um, yeah. It's just... And and look, the the idea of politics it, it's complex. Like there's no black and white, and that's what I think the side that People gets are lost. Continuum. Not everybody. I mean, you're, if you're socialist, doesn't mean like you're like hardcore socialist sets at a side. You know, right. You just have some socialists. People don't see a continuum here, and. I really think when people talk to me, because I think I'm pretty much in the middle, that if you're liberal, you're going to think I'm way conservative. If you're you know, super conservative, you're going to think I'm way liberal. But really, yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle. <laughs> well, one of the things that I was doing actively um, until recently, because again, political season has ramped up, you know, a, a lot of times when I'll write columns, I'll try um, to to give examples of both sides um, and where they're wrong and this and that. Uh, but more recently, I've received criticism from people who generally like to read my stuff because I've been railing on one side harder than the other. And one side talks a lot more. Exactly. And that's what I was explaining to someone the other day. I'm like – and I, I was actually having this conversation earlier today um, with a good friend of mine who's very much moderate um, and pretty much stays in the middle and he tries to – paint both sides and i'm like no here's why you're fucking wrong on that like you can't paint one side as the same as the other and i'll I'm not gonna go into all the details of the conversation but um but yeah it's just dude like i said it's you have to just fact check you have to just research things um because one of the things i said in the column that i wrote um, was once you do that long enough and get in the habit of trying to figure out the truth of things, you can smell the bullshit a lot quicker and a lot sooner. Um, and yeah, but you, you have you have the advantage of, of of having those classes and having that background. Where I mean, I, I do realize a lot of my friends online that are posting things that are just dead wrong. They don't have that. They don't have that media literacy. Yeah, and. It's well, and this is what's funny because you know someone recently said that's something that we should just start teaching across the board in schools, and I at this point in 2020, that's probably not a bad idea just because how easily the the echo chamber can be swayed. So, but um, and and like I said, I mean, I, one of the things I touched on earlier, and I'll just rehash it. You know, when I hear people start railing on professors or me specifically, I'm just like, dude, you have no idea what the fuck I learned. Like, you don't know the people that taught me, so shut the fuck up. Yeah, the people just assume that I'm super liberal, and I'm telling you, my my classes, I used to pull my students, and they come up fifty fifty Republican Democrat because I just I don't show my cards. I I try to teach it down the middle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I was going to school there, it was the same thing. And, you know, um, 
one of my, one of my favorite classes um, that I took there uh, was actually, and he may still teach, and I don't know if anyone else has taken it on, but I love the uh, law and ethics class that Dr. Stewart did, and then... Uh, still doing it. <laughs> no surprise. Um, and then, obviously, uh, he retired, but Dr. Chasson's uh, um, history of basically yeah. media class where we dove as far back as Ben Franklin when he was writing under the pseudonyms and stuff like that. Um, it just that those, those two classes really just kind of painted a great picture of the history. Now, of course it, it dove a little bit further than something like Mako 101, which is just a very broad and basic overview of everything. But the curriculum there, and I know it's changed substantially in the last five to six years, but I'm sure the basis and the groundwork that was laid long before then hasn't changed much, but um, it's I'm glad to see that y'all are still keeping up and you know doing the same great job that I felt like y'all did when you know I was there. Well, thank you, and you make us proud. <laughs> I try. I don't know how often, but I try. <laughs> But it was it was actually funny. One one quick thing before we wrap up here, it was it was funny because um, kind of relating back what I was saying to you about the inappropriate joke. Uh, you know, uh, I talked a little bit about Nikki on this podcast, and I was joking with her when she shared the uh, the column that I wrote about the media literacy um, because. There was a particular student, and a, I'm not name dropping him on the podcast. Um, but, and I'll, I'll tell you once we wrap up, but you know, one of the things, um, that got talked about in the newsroom was something this student was doing. And I just remember saying something again, very insensitive, um, that I shouldn't have. And I remember Nikki lit into me. So I reminded her of that, uh, when we were talking about that column and stuff, but it just, oh man, good times. It was, it was, it was a hell of a hell of a journey. I definitely miss, uh, miss being in school. And, you know, it was, it was great to have the opportunities with, with you and then, uh, Nikki, Dr. Stewart, and just all the good things from it. And it's all big reason why I'm able to still do the blog and everything like that today. So thanks. Well, you got a passion for it. So that's why you keep doing it too. For sure, man. <laughs> but, um, before we wrap up, um, again, if you want to check out, uh, my buddy Lance's stuff, uh, nolasum.com, N-O-L-A-S-O-M-E, Dot com real simple uh, and before we wrap up lance you have anything you want to add or say no i just want to say that uh we're all supporting your podcast over at Nichols, and uh, hopefully this covid thing ends soon so i get back up on stage hell yeah right. dude then <laughs> be sure to stay up to date i'm sure nola some will update you with when lance is doing his comedy shows and you can hear the glorious story of the pat down but um for those of you uh tuning in i appreciate it and as always honor the huddle Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.